0: Welcome to the Semper Reformator Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 37 and verse 1 to 7. What do you do when you get bad news? Are you like me in panic? I'm not talking about the bad news that people think is bad news today. I'm not talking about the bad news that when you wake up in the morning and you lift your mobile phone and you discover that your battery's flat. That's bad news. But you live. You'll get over it. I'm talking about really bad news. Really, 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 really bad news. I was reading earlier on in the book of Psalms, Um, and meditating in the Psalms through the week and reading from Psalm 30. And I had them sing it this morning at our own church in Ballymacashan. Because to be honest with you, I think it gives an amazing account of how sometimes we are sitting in a world that is full of candy, floss and fluff. We are full of our own comfort and our own ease. And we think we have literally got there. And the psalmist must have had that experience. David, the psalmist, writing in Psalm 30, um, talks about how in verse 6, and I love the, the metrical translation, talks about how in my prosperity... In my prosperity I said that nothing shall me move. O Lord, thou hast my mountain made to stand strong by thy love. Isn't that great? God has given me this wonderful life that I have. God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. And then something happened. But when that thy, O gracious Lord, did hide thy face from me, high quickly was my prosperous state turned into misery? Mm. For one moment there, we thought it was all going great. And then all of a sudden, we get some news. And the news is so bad that we're plunged into a state of distress. Now That's exactly what's happening in Isaiah chapter 37. In Isaiah chapter 37, we have the emissaries of Hezekiah the king, the civil servants, if you like, who had been standing out on the wall, coming to bring a report. Now, what were they standing on a wall for? Well, at that particular time, Jerusalem was surrounded. It was surrounded by the armies of Assyria, and they were ready to besiege the city. And it was going to be dreadful. The city was now cut off. There was no food. There was no, no sustenance, and people were going to die slowly of starvation. And the military attache, if you like, the Shaka of the Assyrian army is standing outside the gate and he is taunting the people inside. He's been saying that they were going to fall. He's been telling them that vain is the help of man and that they might as well depend on a bruised reed as depend on the help of Egypt whose help they had sought he was telling them, what if God himself hasn't sent me up here to do this work for you? Why are you trusting in God? All the other gods of all the other people have all let them down. And sure, why would you trust Hezekiah? Because Hezekiah has broken down all the shrines that were all around the land, and he has cut your religion down and made you worship just in Jerusalem. After all, that's what a king who's interested in revival would do. He would return the people to true worship. However, having heard all of the taunts and all of the sneers of this man, the three civil servants, here we have their names, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, over the household, Shebna, the scribe, Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, They came back to Hezekiah and they brought terrible news, the worst possible news. They had heard the military attaché from Assyria. They had heard them insulting them, sneering at them, demoralizing them, ridiculing them doing it so loudly that the ordinary people on the walls could hear, doing it in the Hebrew language, deliberately terrifying the people who were in the city. And they came back to King Hezekiah, and their message is of very bad news indeed, the worst possible news, news that no one would ever want to hear. So what will Hezekiah do about it? Well, this is a historical portion. And it's a historical portion that is also didactic. It's a historical portion that teaches us. And I think when we see what Isaiah does in his time of distress, and we compare it with what the psalmist would have done in his time of distress... And we will see there is great lessons there for us. What does Hezekiah do when he gets this terribly bad news? Well, here's the first thing. He acknowledges his own helplessness before the Lord. Look at chapter, chapter 37 and verse 1. And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and he covered himself with sackcloth. His court officials had already done that. When it appeared before him to report the words of the Shekah, they had already come with torn clothes and now Hezekiah does the same. And you might think to yourself, what was the point of that? What's the point of standing to your feet and tearing off the clothes that you're wearing and putting on this sackcloth? Well, this has, in Old Testament times, a very profound meaning indeed. Sackcloth is a very coarse material. It's made out of black goat's hair. It's uncomfortable. It's abrasive. And it signifies things. One of the things that is signified by this tearing of the garments is an attitude of mourning. Back in Sacral Samuel chapter 3... When Abner died, Abner was the the commander of Saul's army who was the enemy of David. And David, when he heard of the death of Abner, commanded that the people who were with him would tear their clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn before Abner. It was to be a symbol of mourning in the book of Esther. When news went out that the king had given permission, in fact commanded that the Jewish people be persecuted and put to death. that The Bible tells us in Esther that there was great mourning among them. There was fasting, there was weeping, there was lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth and in ashes. The king was mourning. But it also signifies repentance. Do you remember the story of Jonah? Do you remember how he refused and declined to go and to preach to the wicked city of Nineveh? And to preach the gospel there as he was told to do. And to demand repentance from sin. And eventually he did as the Lord commanded him. And what reaction it had in that city. He told the people of the forgiveness that was available to them. He preached the law and preached the gospel. And the people of Nineveh repented in sackcloth and in ashes. Repentance. Humiliation. In the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel says that he turned his face to the Lord, that he sought him for mercy in sackcloth and in ashes. I wonder how many of you have ever been about on Ash Wednesday. If you have, you might see some of our Roman Catholic neighbors Uh, walking about the street with a wee dust mark on their head. Lutherans do it too, and some Anglicans, and they go to church that day, and the priest or the pastor makes a wee smudge of ashes on their forehead. We don't do it, of course. We believe, rightfully so, I, I am assured, That the only outward symbols of Christianity are the symbols that are sanctioned by the Scriptures. In other words, the Lord's Supper and, and Baptism. But Lutherans who practice that will tell you that those ashes on their forehead are an outward symbol of an inner sorrow of heart before God. I'm not in any way condoning the practice. I'm just saying that's exactly what Hezekiah was doing. In tearing his clothes, in wearing the painful sackcloth, Hezekiah is telling everyone who sees him that he is troubled in his heart, that he is sorry for his sins. That he is humbly coming before the Lord and seeking his grace and his mercy in his time of need. The very first reaction to this bad news is to come before the Lord and to admit that we are poor, helpless, hopeless, miserable, lost sinners. And that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to alter that dreadful state of affairs. So he mourns over his condition. And he repents of his unfaithfulness. And he casts himself humbly before the Lord. Do you remember the psalm? Psalm 30. Where the psalmist talks about how and he lived in his prosperity. And how he was thinking nothing shall ever move me. Nothing shall ever come near me. And then all of a sudden he says the Lord the gracious God hid his face from him and quickly was my prosperous state turned into misery. Look at what the psalmist says next. He says, Wherefore unto the Lord my cry I cause to ascend my humble supplication I to the Lord did send. Didn't he say exactly the same thing? Times when we get bad news, the first thing we should ever do is to come before the Lord in humility, confessing our sins, mourning over our sins, repenting over our sins, bringing humble supplication before the Lord. Before the Lord our God. Now what was the second thing Hezekiah did? Well you have that in verse 1 as well. He went into the house of the Lord. That's good advice. He went into the house of the Lord. It's the most natural thing that a believer might do. For you would go to the house of the Lord to meet with the Lord's own people. People who are our brothers and sisters. People who are our spiritual family. People in whose presence we can seek comfort. And more importantly, in the presence of the Lord, who when two or three are met together in his name, is present in their midst. So Hezekiah went to church. And what did he do? Well, he sought the face of God in prayer. Look at what he did. Verse 2. He sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priest, covered with sackcloth, unto Isaiah, the prophet of Amos. And he said... This day is a day of trouble. He's laying his heart out. He's coming before the Lord humbly. Oh, Lord, this is a day of trouble. A day of rebuke. A day of blasphemy. For the children are born to the birth and there is not strength to bring them forth. Oh, God, look at us. You see how he's describing the situation. You see his honesty before the prophet and before the Lord, the hopelessness in his voice. Life in Jerusalem at that moment has become totally pointless. Such is the news that he has just received that there is no point in even being born. For There is nothing in this world for a newborn baby to live for. They will be born just to die at the hands of the wicked Assyrians. There is hopelessness. There is despair. Oh God, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and of blasphemy. For the children are come to birth. And there isn't even the strength to bring them forth. He came to God's house. And he opened his voice and his heart before the Lord and he prayed. And what he's going to do next might startle some people. He says in verse 4, It may be the Lord thy God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, The king of Assyria, his master, hath sent to reproach the living God, and will... Reprove or rebuke the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. What's he asking for? He's asking that the prophet would speak. He's asking that the prophet would hear from the Lord and would rebuke those who had blasphemed against the Lord. You see, those were the Old Testament days. The days when the prophet of the Lord would hear from God and would speak his word, interpreting his word, administering his word to the given situation in which he lived. So who was the prophet? People tend to think of prophets in the Old Testament as being foretellers. They were, of course, but they were more often forthtellers. They were preachers. They were preachers. He was a preacher. He was a declarer. He was a proclaimer of God's message to his people. In bringing his situation to the prophet. What is the king asking for from Isaiah? He's saying to Isaiah, Isaiah, will you preach a sermon to us? Will you preach to us? Will you declare the counsel of the Lord? Will you preach the word of God? Now, thankfully, we already know what Isaiah's sermons were like. Because up to now, up until verse 30, chapter 36, the book of Isaiah has been full of Isaiah's sermons. So we don't have to go very far to find out the content. And I can tell you, it wasn't God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Not much point in saying that to Hezekiah right now, sure there's not. Not with the Assyrian army camped outside. Not when he's just had the worst possible bad news. No, Isaiah's sermons are full of the holiness of God, aren't they? They're full of the sinfulness of man. They're full of the backsliding of the people of God. They bring the message of the coming Messiah who would be born of a virgin and who would reign over all the earth. They bring the call to repentance and to trust in the Lord. If Isaiah was not your average preacher of today who wants to tickle the years. Isaiah is a preacher who is going to stand and tell the people exactly what the word of the Lord is. And Hezekiah is saying, Isaiah, what does the Lord say? Preach me the message. I need to hear God's word. And if only Christians would grasp that today. For we live in a day of bad news. Bad news that worsens every week bad news continually being flung at us. And the last thing that we need as believers is to hear a wee comforting word or a wee quiet talk or an inspirational, life-affirming philosophy or to attend some kind of an innovative worship experience. What we need, my friends, these days These days of bad news is preachers who will preach a sermon packed full of solid exegetical content. I was taking a funeral a few weeks ago. One of the family members said to me, What do you do when you get to the grave? I said I I read the 23rd Psalm and I bring a wee message the 23rd Psalm and I say the words of committal and I have a wee prayer he says how long does that take 10 minutes he says that's not very long I says great because I have a half hour sermon and I'd love to preach it at, your, grave, at your, your loved one's grave. Say, no, don't do that. <laughs> we don't want to hear a sermon. But Isaiah, Hezekiah wanted to hear a sermon. Because when you get bad news, the last thing you need is to be mollycoddled by a preacher. So Isaiah, Hezekiah rather went to the house of God. Sorry, i said it wouldn't be long. Went to the house of God and he brought his petition to the Lord in prayer and he sought for the will of God to be preached to him. And he asked for the prayers of the people gathered. He said to Isaiah through his servants, Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. See, there's only a handful left in Jerusalem. Not a handful of people, only a handful of believers. It doesn't worry me that there's only a tiny remnant. That's always been the case. Don't expect big crowds at churches where the worship isn't entertaining and where the message of the gospel is proclaimed. Just a tiny remnant left. The people of Israel have backslidden. They've broken God's covenant. The towns around Jerusalem have fallen to the enemy. There's only a handful of us left. What do we need? We need more innovation. We need more instruments. We need a drummer. We need some new methods. Oh no. We need to pray. We need to bring others together to pray. Therefore, lift up thy prayer for this situation. We need to pray. So, Isaiah has taken two steps. He has repented and he has sought the Lord in prayer and he has heard the word of God preached. Now, one last thing. What about when you hear bad news? Here's the message. Verse 6 Thus saith the Lord. This is the ceremony God. Thus saith the Lord, be not afraid. Isn't that good? What a sermon. Think how many times that sermon was preached right throughout the scriptures. Don't be afraid. Back in Isaiah 30. Uh, there's a whole section about fear. um, Talking about about the fear that, that people had of the situation that at that stage was just developing. And they were talking about putting their trust in man and putting their trust in Pharaoh rather than putting their trust in God. And Isaiah was preaching to them yet again. And he's telling them that in a time of fear you should trust the Lord. And when you do... He says to you, do not be afraid. Do you remember at the time whenever the women went out of Jerusalem to the tomb after Jesus had been crucified? Living with all the uncertainty that they had. They had been told what was going to happen, but their faith was weak. They went to the tomb to address the body and to do what had to be done and there was an angel and what did he say don't be afraid fear ye not for i know that ye seek jesus which was crucified don't be afraid in times of uncertainty don't be afraid When persecution comes, don't be afraid. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what men shall do unto me. And when this present life reaches its end, and we're stirring out into eternity, and we have heard the worst possible news that a doctor or a physician can give us, And we remember that the psalmist says that even if I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. In Psalm 30, the psalmist said in his prayer to the Lord, what profit is there in my blood? When I go down to the pit, shall unto thee the dust give praise? Thy truth declare, shall it? Because what use am I in my grave for thee, O Lord? He says, Hear, Lord, have mercy. Help me, Lord. And the psalmist received the assurance that Hezekiah received that day also. For David the Psalmist then finishes and concludes Psalm 30 by saying, Thou hast turned my sadness to dancing, yea, my sackcloth loosed and girded me with gladness. That sing thy praise, my glory may, and never silent be. O Lord my God, for evermore I will. Give thanks to thee. What are you going to do when bad news comes? Well, like Hezekiah. First of all, come humbly before the Lord and admit your own helplessness. Mourning over sin, repenting and humbly bowing the knee before God. Secondly, you're going to go to the house of God. Join in with God's people. You're going to bring your troubles before the Lord and seek for his will in his word read and proclaimed, and ask the brethren around you to support you in prayer. And finally, and most importantly, you're going to remember the words of the scriptures, that tell us that we are not to be afraid. For the Lord is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear.